It's time to raise existence. It's time to banish light. It's time to call the void and on the Muppet Show tonight. It's time to burn the incense. It's time to slay some sheep. It's time to wake the Muppets from a thousand years of sleep. Why do we still exist here? I guess we'll never know. It's like a kind of torture to lack the will to go. So now let's get things started. The void's already started. Let's get embracing started on the most emotional, gastrointestinal, existential, sub-irrational. This is what we call This podcast contains foul language, dark invocations, and treating women like their people. Welcome, friends, to episode 55 of Embrace the Void, where we will sacrifice our shame on the altar of public entertainment. I am your host, Aaron, and with me, as always, is my co-Muppet-in-chief, Lord Floppy Arms GW. How you doing, G-dubs? Yep, 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 radio. Not everyone knows that GW is a master of the of the Floppy Arms. And none of you can see it, unfortunately. Maybe we'll do a bonus content where we just have GW do his Muppet impression. It's really good. He does Muppet Thriller so well. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's the best want- joke. It's just, it's the joke is like, what does every Muppet look like when they exit? And <laughs> it's Thriller. It's a and I remember one time at camp watching you teach that to a large group of people <laughs> late at night one time. Oh yeah, that it was, was for that a was tech quality. dance. Yep. Yep. That was good stuff. <laughs> Um, so today we have a, another wonderful interview with our um, global skeptical community members. So we're going to hop on over to that. What's Chang doing? He's getting a refill on his void. So this week we are happy to welcome a friend of the void, Aran Segev of the Australian Skeptics. I probably got that wrong, but we're going to go with it. Formerly the New South Wales group. Aran, do you want to say hi to the void? G'day, void. Oh, that's our first good day. That's awesome. I know. I'm getting the foreign flavor. (laughs) Uh, So, Iran, um, I was uh, the funniest. I don't don't know how you and I ended up friends on Facebook together. What mutual friend we had that made that happen. But at one point, one of my Australian cohorts messaged me and they're like, you're friends with Iran. You know, he's in charge of skepticism in Australia. Maybe you should get him on the show. So do you want to maybe say a little bit about what you do over there? Okay, well, um, so Australian Skeptics, I'm in charge, not in charge of even Australian Skeptics. I'm the president. All of it. You're in charge oh, yeah. of all yes. of it as far as I know. Um, yeah, so Australian Skeptics is a um, skeptical group, as you mentioned, in New South Wales, where we also coordinate uh, a lot of national activities. Like We have a magazine that is distributed nationally. We organize a uh, significant number of the conventions that we have annually, but also coordinate the ones that we don't organize directly. Uh, again, there's a lot of skeptical activism throughout Australia, and we try to coordinate it all. We're also in the fortunate position of having a paid employee, Tim Mendham, who's our executive officer and the editor of our magazine. And that, of course, gives us a lot of leverage in terms of the ability to coordinate and help uh, activism around Australia. So that's what we do. Mm -hmm. And as president, I try to guide the organization um, to make sure that it moves forward in the right direction. But it's uh, my only formal um, uh, role is to uh, cast a um, to run the meetings and to cast a deciding vote if we ever encounter a situation where that's needed. It's never needed. Not so far. Um, how long have you been with the organization? I joined in 2003 and uh-huh. I've been president from 2009 to 2012 and then again from 2014 until next month. Ah, do you have term limits of some sort, or are you? No, we don't. Uh, maybe we should. Um, nobody else put their hands up, so uh, so I I did. 
Um, but it's time for me to step down. So next month uh, at our AGM, I will be stepping down. We have a good replacement set up, so it's, it's all good. Fair enough. Um, that's great. What is, <laughs> is there anything that you would sort of point to as the, I think it's interesting that there are these different sort of skeptical communities all around the world that have popped up. Is there anything that's unique to the Australian flavor of skepticism? Um, like, I'm not sure it's unique. I think it's definitely different to the American um, uh, brand of skepticism um, in that it's probably less militant. Um, we seem to have been able to avoid the political turmoil and um, so, well, maybe social as well, turmoil that's, in, that's been um, uh, hampering, I would say, the American skepticism. Uh, we have been able to uh, work together very closely um, across groups. Um, there are sometimes challenges around that because of the distances, because of, uh, you know, different people will have different ideas about what's the right thing to do at different times. And uh, we, we don't have any formal connections. All our connections are based on wanting to do the right thing. So working together and avoiding the politics is important. And I think by and large, we've been able to do that. Uh, we do, on the other hand, suffer from the tyranny of distance more than other places around the world. So Australia is the size of the contiguous states in the United States, the size of Europe, but we are only 24 million people here. So we spread out, uh, which means that creating a critical mass of activity is sometimes difficult, uh, which mm -hmm. is also why a lot of the activities based around Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, which are the bigger cities makes sense um what what was um what got you into it like was there a specific topic or or something that got you into joining uh you said what 2003 what you said yeah yeah so uh it's uh everybody has a come to jesus moment when it comes to skepticism unless they grew up in a skeptical household <laughs> and i've had mine jesus <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I, I, I absolutely know what religious people feel when they see that, um, that light. Um, because um, I was in, uh, in 2000, and th back in 2002, my kids were going to a, uh, an alternative school, a school where the teacher, teachers walk around barefoot. And, um, <laughs> um, and it attracted, it, it was a great school, but it attracted a lot of uh, what I would call alternative types and uh, not just You the can kids, say but dirty hippie here, it's fine. Dirty hippies, <laughs> exactly. Um, but um, I really liked the school in many ways. However, I found out at some point that there was a uh, significant unvaccinated population in the school. Mm. Um, and I fought against that. And then at one point, there was an article in the school, school newsletter that was basically an anti-vax uh, article. I was, I was really upset and I was speaking to a mother in the schoolyard, um, basically <laughs> loading on her um, the fact that her children are um, freeloaders who are trading on the health of my children. Um, I'm not sure I won myself many friends around that time. <laughs> but in looking for information online to counter the arguments that were made by the anti-vaxxers in this school, I found Australian skeptics. And that was absolutely the light bulb went up. I mean, I knew there was a name for what I was, but I thought that name was know-it-all weirdo. Um, I didn't realize skeptic was a thing. Um, it was just uh, wonderful to find a community and an organizations that actually do things with a more or less um, direction and uh, structure. And I, I found that really incredible. Uh, interestingly, I also found that a lot of my favorite authors from th throughout the years um, were members or, or active members and sometimes founders of the skeptical movement. So, um, yeah, so it was just the kind of thing where I just became involved very quickly within uh, the following day, I became a member of Australian Skeptics. Uh, and within a year, I was already a member of the committee. With less than a year, I was already a member of the committee. It was definitely something that, for me, was a passion right from the start, and probably because I was a late arrival. So you, you said what you're saying it's not a particularly aggressive strain of skepticism. Going back, when you were shouting at that mother on that playground, what, what were you calling her that was sort of a restrained kind of slur? 
for an anti-vaxxer freeloader? No, no. Just, I, or, I was, or did the tempering come later? Is that what you were saying? I, are you going to beep it? No, I, look, I don't, think I, was, I don't think I was rude in, in the sense of, of the specific words used, but I was, I was very unabashed about the fact that anybody who doesn't vaccinate their children is, um, again, risking my children and their own children. Um, and... Yeah, so so it wasn't more around that. Uh, I hope I didn't chat. I don't know. The distance of years uh, blurs is, the moment. Is the anti-vaxxer thing, do you feel like it's more, it's gotten more traction <coughs> in Australia? I mean, it's gotten some traction here in certain communities, but is it like, like just today I saw there was an article about Andrew Wakefield is dating some Australian model or something. Yeah. Who would have thought a model is not modeling thought and, and, and <laughs> critical thinking? Uh, look, I, I don't know. I I know nothing about Elle McPherson. I, I don't know mm-hmm. I, whether she's smart or stupid or you know, she's she looks great in underwear. That's that's pretty much what I know about her. So I, I'm not particularly uh, fast about that. Uh, in Australia, anti-vax has been roughly um, the same for many years. That they've had their ups and downs. They're definitely in a down now. We are working very hard. Well, we, we've worked very hard. Not Australian, don't just Australian skeptics. It's very worth, it's really worth uh, pointing out that there's there are a large number of groups around Australia who work against the anti-vaxxers. There's a, a Facebook group essentially called Stop the AVN. The AVN is the Australian Vaccination Network. Um, uh, Stop the AVN is a group, basically a civil group that organized without our help, without our, uh, our, any involvement from us. Uh, basically to stop the the main anti-vax lobby uh, organization in Australia. And they're doing an amazing job. We work very closely with them. Um, and of course, there's a significant overlap in membership. However, they're not us, even though the anti-vaxxers think we fund everything. They, they, they really attribute um, with Childian uh, abilities to us very often. Uh, so, um, yeah, so it... There's a lot of other people, but uh, we've been fighting the anti-vaxxers very hard and they've definitely dropped in terms of the amount of money that they're making from their supporters, their traction in the press. Stop the AVN in particular have come up with something very clever. They have been working with vaccine uh, professionals to make sure that they never allow themselves to be in a situation where they're interviewed opposite an anti-vaxxer. In the past, mm. it was quite common for the local press to interview some, you know, Professor Ian Fraser, who invented, um, um, you know, who's, who's a, a vaccine specialist and, and has some amazing inventions to his name. Uh, Gardasil, I believe, is one of his inventions, the HPV vaccine. Um, in interview him and op- opposite him, they would interview a an anti-vaxxer who, with no qualifications whatsoever, and now, if Ian Fraser, for example, says, no, I'm sorry, I will not be interviewed opposite an anti-vaxxer, now the producer has a choice to make. And of course, they're going to choose Ian Fraser. So it's had a significant impact on their ability to spread their dangerous message. Um, again, not just Australian <laughs> skeptics. Very important to note. I, I'm, so what you're saying go, is... Go ahead. No, 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 please. No, I just want to clarify. So what you're saying is y'all are the... The George Soros of Australian skepticism, and what you're backing is free speech suppression. I just want to make clear <laughs> on the record here. Yeah, that's exactly we what we do. That's great. That's great. I just, it's interesting to hear foreign perspectives and their experiences, <laughs> and that y'all are out in the open in this. Kind. We have to be very covert about it over here. You yeah. understand? We have to pretend that we're for freedom of speech. It's refreshing to hear someone who just says no. We're just not going to let uh, Andrew Wakefield spew his bullshit everywhere. <laughs> okay, so I, I just want to point I'm only out. Half, I'm only half kidding. Yeah, well, the thing is, of course, the free speech argument is leveled here as much as it is uh, everywhere else in the world. So a couple of things. First of all, we do not have the same free speech laws in Australia as we, you do in the US. Uh, free speech is more limited here. We're still very much a free country where you can pretty much say whatever you want. Um, however, the, the legal framework is different. Mm-hmm. More importantly, even in the US, uh, free speech, as I'm sure that you've discussed in the past, is about the government not suppressing your free speech. We are a civil organization yeah, yeah. and we will do whatever we can to uh, shut down the speech of a free of, of a, uh, an anti-vaxxer 
who he's yeah, spreading. Shut down open discourse. I understand. I get yeah. it. So, I'm, I'm totally with you. I know. No, I, I'm sure you are. I just uh, think it's important to to clarify that f- I, I'm completely in favor of calling venues and saying you have Cheryl Tenpenny about to come to Australia and give talks that will make children in your community less safe and have those venues say, I'm sorry, I'm not hosting this. Uh, I think that's a completely valid way of protesting uh, these kind of messages. So I have a, I have a theory, I'm and I'm curious to know your thoughts on this. Uh, I think that the most volatile, dangerous form of the Dunning-Kruger effect is anti-vaxxers. I don't know if you have a thought or an opinion about the Dunning-Kruger effect, because it seems to be like that is one of the main things that skeptics should be fighting against, and and anti-vax seems to be like the bread-and-butter example of it. Yeah, um, probably. Look, I think I, I'm, I'm very careful with that because, you know, chances are that about, what, 80% or something of everything I think I, I know I'm, I'm wrong about, either because I'm not well informed about what the what science knows or, or whatever, um, or because uh, science itself is wrong. Um, so I think we all have some extent, you know, to some extent, we all have the Dunning-Kruger effect. We all think we know more than we do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with anti-vaxxers, especially with the very active anti-vaxxers, there's definitely, it's prominent because you can't really, can't really get through to them. It's a position that is clearly unsupported by science. Science has proven time and again um, that they're wrong, but there's no amount of of evidence that will ever convince them. I think there's more of a conspiratorial mindset that is the problem there. Uh, definitely the, the higher echelons of anti-vax, the anti-vax movement, conspiratorial thinking is very prominent. And, uh, that's the thing with conspiracy theories. That's the thing with conspiracy theories that they you can't prove a conspiracy theory wrong. That only makes you part of the conspiracy. <clears throat> so, you know, so that that's where they are. They're definitely there in that field of uh, conspiracies. Do you find that there's any better luck with like you said? You know, you can't really engage with them factually because you're never going to get them to agree on the science. Do you find engaging with them in an evaluative or an emotive kind of way has any different kind of effect, trying to sort of validate their concerns for their children while trying to help them understand this will in fact make their children safer? Or does it just, it always comes back around to the the data that they don't want to look at? I don't think that trying to convince a dedicated anti-vaxxer of anything is a good idea. It's a waste okay. of time. The only way I would debate an anti-vaxxer, first of all, it would not be a public debate in the sense of, I would not be on the radio or anything like that because I don't want to give them the the airtime. But if, for example, we were in a social situation and I had to debate someone, I would only debate it for uh, my own training in like, you know, to, to practice my arguments or for people around, you know, for the, for the audience. Uh, Sure. To try to convince an, a dedicated anti-vaxxer is just a waste of time. Yeah. So the the people that we should be going uh, for, not after, are the people who are wavering or worried. Because worried parents, you know, that's that's the whole point. They go after worried mm-hmm. parents, and all parents are worried. Worry, worry is the essence of being a parent. So, um, <laughs> so. They, they go after that and they try to convince them that there's a problem there and they should be careful and should they should uh, ask Dr. Google what to do. Whereas, in fact, what people should do is listen to their real-life doctors and uh, and to do what they're told in that respect because that's the best advice. I So I've had this burning question, but I haven't come across an anti-vaxxer since I came up with the question. Uh, I would, lo- and if you get a chance to talk to someone, I'd love for you to ask this, which is it's sort of a Pascal's wager kind of a thing. Like, let's grant you just hypothetically that it's true that vaccines cause autism, right? Uh, is it better to assume that's true and not put your kids on vaccines or to continue to put them on vaccines because we know that stops 
uh, all the things that the MMR covers and try to do some sort of study to fix it to prevent <laughs> autism or something. Does that make yeah. any sense? Well, uh, yeah, but they, they will they will not accept none of the. I mean, you've made a couple of premises there in the in the question, and they will not accept your premises. Mm -hmm. uh, in particular, they will not accept that vaccines are actually helpful. You see, there's an, a, a good a good hardcore anti-vaxxer will have multiple layers of objection to vaccine. And they will do the opposite to you. They will grant you that perhaps vaccines help in all of this, but they cause autism. Right. But when they grant you the fact that vaccines prevent disease, they're doing it as a rhetorical device from their perspective because they don't actually believe it. So mm -hmm. don't waste your time. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's fair. So, so you were saying before we got on that um, you don't, you're not focused on any one of these major things like vaccines or stuff, but that it's the organizing side that is of particular interest to you, I think you were saying, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, which, which I think is wonderful. I actually just got uh, the pleasure of spending the past uh, weekend a little bit ago with um, Michael Marshall, who, if you're not familiar with, definitely to put you in touch with as another person who yeah, Marsh, is Marsh is, Marsh is a very close friend of mine. Yeah. So, okay, great, great, great. So, yeah, yeah. Great, great. Way ahead of you. What are you this? I'm new to this whole group, so I'm meeting <laughs> yeah, all yeah. the people for the first times. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so he was also very into this. So what are your sort of hot takes on what skepticism needs from an organizational perspective? Um, so maybe maybe I should give you a bit of background in, into this. Uh, mm -hmm. So so I'm sure. a manager by profession. I'm in, a, I'm in, a, in IT and a geek, of course, but uh, but just uh, over the years I've moved into management and now management and, and process and methodology are, are my my core uh, professionally. Um, and when I joined when I joined Australian Skeptics, that was already uh, obviously we're talking about something you know 15 years ago. I was I was a younger manager then, but but I was already in management. And uh, by the time I became president, it was clear to me that one of the things that the organisation uh, needed was professionalizing this structure. Um, and mm -hmm. it's something that I've always been passionate about professionally. And I was, I think I was just well placed to do that. And I, I won't go into all the details of, of you know, there's, there's many steps, but I, I did have a, a well uh, set plan for what I thought the organization should be doing in order to become more professional. Um, and I've been focusing on that because Volunteer organizations struggle anyway, because mm -hmm. people will always have other priorities, there are other things that are happening in their lives, and people need to also make a living, which volunteer organizations generally don't help you with. In fact, they usually detract from that. So it's very important to have structures that help uh, an organization uh, stay focused and stay active. Uh, and yeah, that's what I've been focused on. So when I say that that's my main interest, that's my main interest not from a skeptical perspective, but from a uh, from the perspective of being part of the organization. Mm -hmm. uh, again, as a skeptic, I'm brilliant. I, I am still interested in um, sure. in UFOs and in 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 uh, of course in vaccines and other forms of uh, quackery. Uh, but again, as an from the organizational perspective, it's more the organizational man slash management aspect. Are, are there? I don't even get too, more, too far into the weeds, but I do think we tend to be a very on the ground, a little detail oriented when we try to talk about helping people. Are there any sort of things that you see that like you feel like a lot of groups just get wrong that are very easy to correct if they just knew how to correct them? Essentially, I, I just want to restate Aaron's question. He's basically asking how to create a cult because that's that's really like he wants to be a cult leader and he just wants to learn from the best how to <laughs> cultivate his herd. God, just get it out in the open, GW. Just expose my recreational activities in front of our guests. That's yeah. fine. How to create a cult? Okay, that's a good. All I'm saying that's a good, that's is a good like, title. It's a good title. How long do we have? Uh, <laughs> no. Step one. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> Watching Wild Wild Country with a notepad. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think so. Look, obviously, when I look at other groups in our groups as well, um, I always see a lot that is wrong. But I don't think there is actually a theme, uh, except perhaps if if there was a theme, actually, I would say it's 
focusing on the wrong thing. It's okay. very easy for an organization. I mean, you, you meet your, I don't know, the committee or, or board or whatever is maybe like 10 people or whatever. And you meet, in our case, it's about 15. You meet every, you know, every month or two months or whatever it is that the period, the period is. And you talk amongst yourselves about all kinds of things. And it's so easy to get bogged down in details and in what this person said and what this other organization is doing. And they said this about us and they're objecting to what we do and all just the wrong things. And the most important thing for, especially for, for any organization, but especially for a volunteer organization, is to stay focused on the goals. And I, I gave a talk uh, in Poland last year at the European Skeptics Congress. Um, I think I sent you the, the link mm -hmm. to, to the video of that talk. Yeah. And, what, and we can, I, uh, we can and, attach that in the show. Yeah, so I, I, one of the things, I think uh, one of the things I, it's, this talk was built over many years of, of putting my thoughts together around how to run a, a, a skeptical organization, but it actually applies to, I think, volunteer organizations of many stripes. The most important thing for an organization is to have goals, to have clearly stated goals, and then to actually pursue those goals. And what, what I mean by that is that whatever it is that you do, you have to ask yourself, am I promoting and progressing my goals by doing this? If I don't, don't do it. It's just not, it's just not it's just a waste of time, everybody's time, and again, limited time in the case of volunteers very often. It's uh, demoralizing, it's, distract it's detracting from the, uh, from the main message. The goals should be the North Star, or in our case, uh, the Southern Cross um, <laughs> that, you, uh, that, you, um, that you aim for, that's, that's where you go. And I think a lot of organizations fail at that level. And I must say, again, from my perspective as somebody who's in, has been in management for many years, a lot of it has to do with the fact that there are not many managers in skeptical organizations. You have people who specialize in all kinds of things, but management isn't generally one of them. So, the, you know, one of the managers are not necessarily particularly good at anything. Are you saying but, they're a credulous bunch? <laughs> uh, yeah. No, but ma managers... Generally, a, a good manager will do one thing and one thing only, and that is enable the organization. Anything they do other than that is not part of management. You know, I'm in addition to being the president of the organization, I'm also just an active member. So I'll do all kinds of things. So we could basically but, just call you an enabler, and that's that's a good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and uh, you need uh, like every cult leader needs a good enabler. Yeah, helping. There you them. go, Aaron. Write that down. <laughs> I got that. I got it. On yeah. my notepad. Make sure you have goals. It's <laughs> I'm putting it on the board. I'm wondering. Yeah. Have goals. I'm, I'm wondering with what you're saying now, and you also said that you come from an IT background. Have you ever in either your organization or seen other people use Scrum as a, which is a project management uh, technique to, to run an organization like this? I've never seen Scrums use well in proper professional IT organizations are you, and you're asking me if I've seen it done in non unprofessional <laughs> non-IT organizations? Is that a no? Is that an Australian no? It's a hard no. no. <laughs> the Australian <laughs> <for> no. <laughs> um, you see, yeah, I, I have, uh, yeah, it's uh, actually, I think Scrum is a technique out of Agile and uh, Agile is misunderstood and misapplied so often. I think it's not the right place to do it in a place where in a an organization where uh, people are volunteers anyway and you're kind of struggling to pull them into line anyway you want to make sure that things are probably a bit uh, clearer um, also um, these kind of management techniques i think apply more to a place where first of all you can tell people exactly what you need out of them rather than more general goals and also where you meet more regularly. I think most skeptical organizations uh, will meet uh, at most weekly, but very often monthly or even bi-monthly. So it's not really, these kind of things are not really applicable. So what are, what are the things or the topics or areas that your organization are currently working on? Uh, I know you spoke to the anti-vaxxer stuff, but are there any other sort of big things going on? 
um, that I can talk about. Yeah. So uh, well, yeah, again, yeah. So, There's yeah. all the cultish stuff you uh, can't talk about. Right? So yeah, yeah. Yeah. We won't, we won't yeah, talk about that exactly. stuff. Of course. Yeah. Um, Hush so, money for Andrew. <laughs> I uh, yeah so we we actually have we're working on first of all on a on a big convention that we are running in October and I would like to make sure that every single one of your listeners uh, comes to our convention plug 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 uh, yes mm. uh, which is in Sydney on the weekend of the thirteenth and fourteenth of October um, it's in a part of Sydney called the North Shore in Chatswood a wonderful venue. I named the concourse. Uh, you guys would love the uh, the sound and uh, lighting. Sounds there. like it's something just, we'd love to go yes, to. Absolutely, <laughs> love um, to be invited. Yeah, it's to a, sometime. Yeah, it's a really it's it's going to be a wonderful convention. Uh, anybody who wants to go and everybody should um, should go to convention.skeptics.com.au and um, and buy their ticket. It's really it's really going to be a wonderful convention. So um, that's that takes organizing a convention takes takes a bit out of an organization yeah. in particular because it actually uh, takes um, a lot of the time of the of our uh, paid employee um, so mm -hmm. actually you know I, I keep saying paid employee but we actually have two paid employees oh yeah um, I do want to mention that because our we have a new employee her name is Lauren Cochran and she is our social media manager and she's she's part-time but she's doing an amazing job in improving our social media presence and um and i think you know we going back to what we discussed earlier about um what you know doing the right thing from an organizational perspective i think sending the right message having reach is very important and um social media is of course a very important part of that so she's she's really improved in it she's joined us in march and since then we've improved dramatically in the way we approach social media Nice. Um, so, sorry, go ahead. I just want to follow up on GW's question a little bit since you said you're doing the convention. Are y'all doing a theme or no theme? What's your take on that topic? Uh, uh, no, we, we don't do themes. Um, no theme. Okay. Uh, I think partially it's because, uh, again, we are a small country in a lot, and uh, 20, you know, we, we have a problem with um, speakers in the sense that we always need to bring big names from overseas and overseas is invariably really far away and costs a lot of money. Um, it's one of the benefits of living in Australia as well. It's not just a drawback, you know, but in this specific uh, respect, it, it is a bit of an issue. A theme would probably be too difficult uh, sure. because it would it requires, you know, having speakers from only a sliver of uh, the kind of things that people are interested in. However, uh, that's not the only reason. I also personally think that um, co a convention that's varied is more likely to be broadly appealing. Right. And person, I personally uh, am curious about anything. I find theme-based conventions less interesting. So, uh, yeah, it's a there is an element of a personal. Yeah. Um, and it seems like uh, having the diversity is a good thing too, right? You may go because there's a talk on something that you're really intrigued about, but then because you're already there to see that one thing that you really want to go to, you may happen upon seeing something else that you didn't plan on seeing and it opens you to new perspectives. Yeah. And again, it's, it's probably worth thinking about what the conventions are for. Uh, to me, proselytizing. It's for proselytizing. Exactly. Yes. That's exactly it. Yeah. Um, well, in the the language of the cult, will be recruitment. Right. Um, blood so, for the blood god. <laughs> yes. Um, I think the main role of a convention is to bring people together, to have them talk to each other, come up with ideas, be reinvigorated, and uh, just in, be, become more enthusiastic about being a skeptic. It is not. I don't think it's about informing necessarily about anything specific to do with skepticism. And the reality is that the majority of our talks are not of, uh, here's what we're doing right now about this specific topic, join us and do the same thing. Uh, sometimes we have entire conventions where there's none of that at all. I don't think there's anything of, of that in the current convention lineup yeah. that I can think of. Again, the convention is a lot of it is science. Some of it is um, 
is skepticism in the sense of you know like UFOs and ghosts and things like that, but it's very rarely a call for a call to action in any specific way. So a varied approach, the varied approach, the uh, the uh, the idea of having things that might interest uh, more people is better in that respect because it will attract more people who will meet and socialize and all the rest. So do y'all get to benefit off of the fact that you're Australia? So like, is cryptozoology a big thing over there? Like, what are your, what are your best, or, or is it like the normal zoology is so bad that like no one is even that worried by the cryptozoology that they, they can't really tell the difference? I, I would urge you to take the word bad back. Okay. Uh, Australian uh, wildlife is amazing. Fascinatingly um, varied in its ways of hurting. Yeah. Uh, Here are the list of ways that Australia can kill you by non-human right. means. Amongst our weapons. <laughs> okay, so, okay, so let's just make it very, very clear mm-hmm. that um, drop bears are real. Yeah, I know. I've seen them. Okay. And they're very dangerous. However, sharks and sharks are real. Uh, and there's uh, a few of them. I don't even care uh, about sharks. Fucking fucking jellyfish. I, man. I, yeah. Let's talk about the spiders. Look, the spiders are as big as your head. Like, I am na- I, as much as I would love to go to Australia because uh, I find like the Aboriginal culture super interesting. I have for years. I will never go there. Okay. Well, yeah. So I have a, a huntsman. Huntsman. Uh, so I have a huntsman family living in my house. Ah! Um, they. <laughs> The the ma- mama huntsman is uh, about um, four inches across. This is my nightmare. Uh, <laughs> it's mostly legs, and um, she's harmful to very harmful to mosquitoes, but not to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I was I was hosting a German skeptic here. Um, a few months ago, and at some point, uh, Mama Huntsman came out, and uh, so I have a a um, a, f- a beautiful photo of a very a red-faced German young German woman looking, pointing, pointing at a spider on the wall, looking like you know something terrible yeah. is going to happen. It's just. Uh, this is what I mean, though, right? This this raises a problem for y'all as skeptics, right? When you're dealing with a claim, like, for example, I came out of the bush and I saw a five-foot spider, right? That's plausible in y'all's ecosystem. That's not, okay, that's well, not outside the, is, the realm of... Yeah, yeah. well, evidence-based... The evidence right, suggests, you know, we're but an evidence-based organization. Are all off. Uh, the evidence suggests that uh, you're much more likely um, to be, harm- to be uh, run over by a by a bus than you are to be harmed by a funnel web spider. Now, funnel web spiders are, I think, the number two. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I think it's, I think they're the number two most um, um, uh, poisonous spider in the world. And they have um, um, half half inch fangs, which they which they can bring down with enough force to go through a fingernail or a toenail. Ah! Um, and uh, <laughs> and there has. And there has not been any deaths since the 60s because there's anti-venom mm-hmm. and they're actually mm-hmm. shy and retiring and actually just want to get away from humans. Shy um, and retiring is a nice yeah. way of saying And plotting. I just want to point out that you guys live in the US and sharks do not tote guns, um, 3D printed or otherwise. Right? So, uh, so, yeah, I don't know. But our guns I are think- very big. You see them coming. It's not like a little <laughs> spider, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, and yeah, drop oh. bears are also big, but you don't see them coming. They just drop. It's true, because they could come down from like ninjas. <laughs> yes. What I mean, what are the like? I'm trying to think of the major cryptozoology claims from that. I mean, I know you got the Tasmanian devil, but that's you know, no, no, Tasmanian devil's not. This, I mean, it's becoming more and more of a cryptid because it's it's uh, suffering from a huge decline due to a disease called facial tumor disease, uh-huh. uh, which is a, basically a uh, contagious cancer. Uh, but they're, they're very real. Uh, Contagious cancer yowies. has got to be the voidiest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Yeah, well. Right on the uh, face. Right. <laughs> right on the face, exactly. Um, so, um, yeah, we have yaois. Uh, yaois, which are basically our, our Bigfoot equivalent. Oh, nice. Um, so not Yahweh, have, uh, but um, Yahweh. Your elected representative. <laughs> yaois, yeah. 
Do you um, have an elected representative who follows Yowie porn? <laughs> Did you hear about our, our Bigfoot porn representative? No. <laughs> oh, we've got a. Yeah, no, they topped off um, Infrastructure Week this week with some uh, Bigfoot porn. So um, if you've got some Yahweh porn, you could share it this way. Maybe we get a little cross-culture thing going. Is that like furries but tall? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's some really interesting stuff about him being both a, a, a large uh, but also sensual lover. It's, it's a whole thing. Um, late night okay. Twitter is a lot of fun. You should check it out. Okay. Or not, maybe. I didn't know All what right, people so did got, to my you sex your, life. You got your Yahweh porn. Um, what else do you got going on over there? Um, anything, anything. We do have, have dinosaurs. Do you guys we have, have like flabids? Um, Maybe just making words up. <laughs> no, no, flabids. 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 Uh-huh. Uh huh. Sounds are, like a, a giant blob, like a gelatinous cube. No, they're flying rabbits with fangs. Oh, oh. okay. Like I saw that like movie. A jackalope. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. You see, the thing is, we have in because. Um, the Aboriginal Australians have lived um, very well with nature. I mean, they did actually, pr there's some evidence that they've uh, eliminated some of the major, of the, the megafauna that existed at the time they uh, came to, uh, to this landmass. Um, but mostly they lived in um, harmony with their environment and didn't kill too much of the environment. Europeans only arrived um, 200 and something years ago, so 230 years ago. So... There hasn't been a huge amount of time for Europeans to 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 completely ruin the environment. We're doing we're doing a good job of it. Uh, so yeah, the coral reef is going great. Sorry, the Great Barrier Reef's going great. Yeah, well, that's probably to do with global. Uh, oh, you sure. know, we it, do globally rather than specifically in Australia. But we, you know, we've we've been doing it in Australia as, uh, directly and locally as well. Uh, the thing is, because Europeans have only been around for 230 years and um, for the past, um, what, 50 years or so, the in environmental uh, concerns have become more and more prominent. We have really quite an amazing um, flora and fauna here. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just so amazing in its own right that we probably don't need to make up um, Creatures don't exist. However, I think it's probably also from a cultural perspective, we haven't had time to develop the stories in the same way that they have developed um, um, in, in places where Europeans have been around for longer. Uh, of course, um, Aboriginals have their own stories about, you know, all kinds of uh, creatures. The dream um, kin and all that. Yeah. Uh, uh, we're talking about. It seems. Y'all talk a lot about. No, 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 no please go ahead. No, I was just going to make a crack about how y'all are very obsessed with your invasive species because you got to protect your flora and fauna. I was wondering the way you just described it. Do you ever look in the mirror and think about, ooh, invasive species? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we, yeah. you know, first of all, humans are the, 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 the worst invasive, invasive species in the world uh, anywhere. And that's, that's absolutely mm -hmm. true in Australia as well. Um, yeah, yeah, Mr. We Smith do, told actually. us we're a virus. I think anybody who's conscious does. I said Mr. Smith told us that we're a virus, so... Yeah, uh, old Matrix yeah, look, reference. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, it's yeah. We we I think people who are environmentally conscious definitely see that as a problem. Uh, um, we have a, uh, a government in Australia that is uh, right wing, and uh, uh, obviously, it's not as bad as it is in the US in many respects. Uh, but there is a level of climate change denial. Uh, there is a. Uh, strong support uh, in the current government for the coal industry, which really has got to stop at some uh -huh. point. I mean, no, I don't think anybody's suggesting that it's got to stop tomorrow morning because, you know, there's it takes time to stop these kind of things. But um, there's now support within the existing uh, current government for opening new coal mines, new <clears throat> opening new major coal mines. So, um yeah, not everybody would agree with me, uh, but I think uh, hopefully skeptics who op operate or live their lives by the evidence understand that things have got to change. So um, uh, we should be coming up on our Hero of the Week uh, in a little mm -hmm. bit. Uh, I do have a quick question, though. Uh, I'm curious to know if you've had to engage with anyone who takes the position that ESP is real and how you would... <laughs> have that kind of a conversation with someone who's like, yeah, ESP is totally real. Uh, oh, 
shit. He's stirring shit with me. You can ignore him. He's just using you as a tool for his own amusement. Yeah. Not yeah, just my amusement. There's a lot of people listening. That's fair. The yeah. other people's amusement, well, it's, too. It's, Mostly his amusement. Okay, so let's point out. So ESP is definitely real, but only about 6% real. Right. Uh, <laughs> See, he, he gets yep. it. He's following. Yep. <laughs> so, um, yeah. it, it was, I said there was data. That's all I said. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. I don't care. I don't even care anymore. No. Fine. I think you're fine. I think you're yeah. pretty, too. You're real pretty. Everything's fine. There, there, is, there, is, there is data. Uh, and <laughs> since, we're, since we're at it, I will point out that uh, the... Um, I think you gave uh, Steve Novella flack for... Unre- unjustifiably and the reason is he said what he said in on his program within a certain context of already having discussed the Gansfeld experiment experiments many 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 times in the past yeah and that so, was my mistake I, yeah. I I wasn't aware I mean like the people who linked me on the on his responses only gave me those and I, I've not listened to their show far enough yeah. back to have heard all of their stuff but so you're right they they had covered I would have liked to have heard an update and I think Thomas, it sounds like, did a really good update on it that I'm looking forward to listening to. Yeah, so, I haven't listened thanks, to th- it. Thanks, GW. Thanks for opening that. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate opening it. Opening that wound. Um, yeah. one, I have one more tiny question that we can do here over the week. You, you said back at the beginning that you don't, y'all don't get involved with politics stuff as much, you feel like, as the American. And maybe, maybe that was just in, a, in one sort of kind of context. I'm curious, do y'all get involved at all with political debates? So, for example... Y'all get involved with Aboriginal issues and like skepticism or, or or denial of the way that they were treated, things like that. Or is it do you really um, stay narrowed in your focus? So I must say that I, I think no. So this specifically the question of the treatment of Aboriginals. It was called this was something that was really big in Australia in the eighties uh, and nineties. It was called the History Wars. Um, this is not something that Australian skeptics has been. In, in, uh, involved in, as far as I know, uh, definitely not in the time that has I've been involved. As far as getting involved in politics in general, we do to the extent that it is about the evidence. So absolutely, when it comes to the climate change debate or the vaccines, we absolutely will get involved. Um, and one of the things that I like about these two examples is, of course, with the climate change debate, we will be fighting the right-wing government very strongly. Uh, because they do not follow the evidence. On the other hand, uh, when it comes to the vaccines, we support and applaud the government because they've implemented some steps to increase vaccination rates. Like uh, uh, there's two policies, one called no jab, no play, which means that um, kids can't go to uh, daycare without being vaccinated or to schools. And the other one is no jab, no pay, where some government benefits are denied from people whose children are not uh, fully vaccinated. These are government benefits that are related to the children, of course. Um, Mm -hmm. So we support those. So we are issue based. We we do not play politics in the sense of party politics, but absolutely we get involved in politics when it comes to the evidence. I do want to point out whether when I said we don't get involved in politics earlier, I meant intergroup politics. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, the kind of things that are a distraction from the core of skepticism. But of course, getting involved in politics in support of skepticism is completely appropriate. You mean like identity politics? <laughs> you talk? I, no, I'm, I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm curious for you to clarify like, um, what you consider a distraction. No, I would consider a distraction if, uh, no, no, polit- I uh-huh. refer to politics, anything that is to do with people promoting a point of view um, that is not necessarily related to the core of what it is that you do. So it could be simple that, you know, I was really, talking about politics in the same sense as you refer to office politics, you know, mm-hmm. to the kind of the interaction between humans uh, based on, um, for example, traditionally, New South Wales and Victoria, the two, uh, uh, two states, the most popular states in Australia, um, have been kind of in a sort of a battle um, for, for primacy to the extent that Canberra, the capital of Australia, has been established to be uh, within the land, within the the um, land area of New South Wales, but not too close to Sydney. Uh, so that's mm-hmm. that's actually the the reasoning. So there could easily be uh, based on these historical uh, 
complications, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, disagreements or arguments between uh, New South Wales sceptics and Victorian sceptics. And that that is the kind of politics that I would strongly urge people to avoid. And we have been doing a good job, I think, of avoiding. Y'all have really fallen behind America and England in the race to have who can have the worst possible government, I feel like. I disagree. And Trump. Really? You I disagree. We had... We had Tony Abbott, who was who was did. Trump before Trump. He, he like his policy was no. That was his policy decision. <laughs> it's, no. it's not, I mean, like Tony Abbott was a terrible, terrible person. <coughs> but I just feel like no one is going to rise. It's going to be a long while before someone rises to the level of terrible that is Trump. I think Tony Abbott. Yeah, well, the, Trump is a, is in the league of his own, definitely. Uh, the thing about Abbott is a professional politician, so at least some standards were maintained. Mm-hmm. Didn't help the public discourse and the policy work was terrible. And they, of course, is he he's he's a horrible human being who is against rights to anybody who is not um, white and male. Um, he voted mm-hmm. against he no sorry he was very much against gay marriage, even though his sister is gay and wanted to get married, um, and he put the country through a process that allowed all the bigots to come out and and voice their views. Um, I wonder what that's like. And then and then and then when the <laughs> when the when the country when the population told him yes, gay marriage should be or, or same sex marriage uh, should be allowed or just marriage is marriage equality as we call it here and I, that's probably the right term. Mm-hmm. Um, he d- he didn't have the, the well he had the gumption to walk out and not vote. Um, so, yeah, um, that the only thing is, again, he was in charge of a country of 24 million. So sure. <laughs> had less. I'm not, I'm not judging. y'all. I'm sure y'all can catch up. I believe in y'all. Y'all are talented. Thank you. You've done I some guess. really impressive work with oppressing boat people. I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Is that what you think you are? A hero? Saved the world, didn't I? Once. Talk to me after you've done it a couple more times. The Hero of the Week is actually completely relevant to the point you just made about both people. Oh, great. So you're going to have to leave that in. Um, because my Hero of the Week will remain nameless. He is a Bangladeshi who is currently in Australia. Uh, after escaping Bangladesh, because he is a blogger, a secular blogger. And as many of your listeners would know, being a Bangladeshi blogger is at the moment tantamount to being to standing on the um, precipice of a volcano. Uh, <laughs> it is it is a very dangerous thing to be and to do. Uh, in this specific case, this is someone who blogs under his own full name, um, and he's already been attacked once with machetes in Bangladesh. He's currently in Australia. Spent three and a half years in immigration detention in Australia. Wow. Um, and is now, uh, it's now been ruled that he has to uh, leave Australia and go back to Bangladesh, where, where of course, where he faces, I wouldn't say certain death, but almost certain death. And the reason, and I've been introduced to his case uh, about, I don't know, a few weeks ago, and I've been doing my best to use my contacts, my global skeptical contacts, uh, to help him. And there is there is some hope on the horizon. Uh, we're not sure yet, but there might be a possibility of uh, providing him with some support. That would mean that he would still have to leave Australia, but maybe he wouldn't have to go to Bangladesh. Is, um, Can't give any more details. Sure. No, of course. Um, has, has he made an asylum claim? Or does, does Australia yes. have asylum laws? Yeah, yeah, he has, and he's been denied. Oh, wow. And, um, because, and, and now the only chance he has of staying in Australia is if our immigration minister, Peter Dutton, uh, gives him a reprieve, uh, but that's not going to happen because uh, Peter Dutton um, doesn't have a heart. Um, so um, at all, uh, he just have a jellyfish where his heart should be. He's he's the he his department um, has denied uh, bringing uh, sick children from our prison camp in Nauru to Australia for medical treatment. And the court time and again forces them to, to bring those children to Australia for treatment. This is not somebody who is going to allow a an adult blogger stay in Australia because he's going to be hacked to death when he goes back to Bangladesh. Um, I got, mu- I anyway, got money so, on him so this, being a pro-lifer too. Um, 
Probably. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't have that much of a debate about that here. Um, oh, yeah. Well, that yeah, must be nice. Definitely. It's, uh, it's just... Um, yeah, it's a, so this guy who shall remain nameless is my hero because despite all these difficulties, he, well, I asked him at some point, would you stop writing for, for a short time just so that we can take steps to make you safe? And he said, no, because if I have to stop writing and protesting and, and promoting secular government and a, a civil rights in Bangladesh, then my life isn't worth living. So he's my hero. Yeah. Um, do y'all have asylum for people facing religious persecution? And is that something that he can't avail himself of because he is a secular individual facing a form of religious persecution? Um, yeah, I do believe that there is. I do believe that there is a um, religious persecution element to. So it is possible mm -hmm. to seek asylum mm -hmm. based on that. Mm -hmm. I don't know what all the... Look, I, again, I, I'm a late comment yeah. to this story. I don't know what the arguments... Uh, I don't know what the arguments were that were made uh, by his legal team uh, that tried to have him see, uh, be granted asylum in Australia. Clearly, they didn't succeed. Uh, my understanding is that they also failed to present all of his... the body of his writing. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. Uh, so... Uh, Again, I don't know what the situation is there, but the, the reality is that right now he's exhausted his legal options and uh, a reprieve by Peter Dutton isn't, uh, isn't going to, to happen. So we have to find a solution for him elsewhere. I don't suppose there's anything we can do to help or, or any information we could pass on to our listeners that might be interested in doing something to help. Yeah, so I, look, I spoke to him last night and I asked him whether um, I could use, I told him I was, I didn't tell him he was going to be my hero, but I told him I was going to mention yeah. the story. Um, and I, I asked him whether I could do it, first of all, uh, which he said yes. And then I asked him whether I could mention his name. And he said no. And the reason is um, that the gov government in Bangladesh is a lot more sensitive to external criticism. And that would put his family in particular more at danger if, uh, if his name came out this way in, in foreign media. What I would say is absolutely, I think it's very important for everyone to be aware of what's happening in, happening in, be aware of what's happening in Bangladesh at the moment with secular bloggers being killed at a rate of, I think it's in the last three years, it's something like 25 people. It's, you know, almost one a month. It's just absolutely incredible what's happening there. These are people who are fighting for freedom and for rights and the government, they're not killed by the government, by the way, they're kill, killed by um, Islamist uh, militants, but the government is doing nothing to protect them. In fact, they're sometimes imprisoned for offending religion, uh, which is not a law in Australia. It, sorry, it's not a law in Bangladesh, but uh, it's just, um, it's a really dire situation there. And it's very important that I think the skeptical community and the atheist community uh, are very much aware of what's happening in Bangladesh and do what's possible to help there. Yeah. We really appreciate you bringing that to us. That's really great stuff, even though we can't necessarily pass along any active advice. It's good for people to remember that there are, there are voidy places out there in the world, and there are people trying to help improve them, even at personal cost. So, yeah. um, well, thanks so much for joining us, Iran. Do you want to um, plug your convention and anything else again before you head out? Yeah, so generally to find out what we do on Australian Skeptics, so you can go to uh, skeptics.com.au. Uh, you can follow us on uh, Twitter and Facebook. We have a very active uh, Facebook uh, page. Um, just, just look us up. We are Australian Skeptics, not Skeptics in Australia, which is a separate group that is uh, less formal. Um, and of course, uh, if you are in Sydney in October, then uh, come to our convention. I go to convention.skeptics.com.au to uh, find out all the details and buy tickets. I definitely am not going there because the likelihood of me seeing one of those spiders is just... Uh, <laughs> okay, so look, the, I have I have spare rooms and you can stay with me and I can put your nope. room away from Mama's Hard spider. no. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, um, we'll make it over there eventually since my wife is from Sydney. We'll be there eventually and we'll hang out and uh, maybe we can try to time it with the convention. Okay. And uh, we can Skype in GW and the spider will win. Nope. It'll we'll be fine. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, thank you for having me. 
And thank you all, all for joining us, and we will catch you next week. We would like to thank our new patrons, a listener enjoying the book recommendations, Zika Baby Let Lived, Wait Sweet Sir Stereo. Oh, let me try that again. Wait Sweet Sir Stereo, Carl Otterson, and Lucas Geno R. We'd like to thank our top patrons, Jesse Rabinowitz and Brenda Goodman, Dave Maslick, Abe, Corey Johnson, host of the Brainstorm Podcast and the Hardcore Skeptic, Kemquest.org, 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 Mr. Nobody, and Scott John Harrison at Shaded Sprider. If you'd like to become a patron, find us at patreon.com slash embrace the void. As always, remember, you are the void, and the void is you. <laughs>